0: Mountain Hill Radio contains graphic language and scenes some listeners may find troubling. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Mountain Hill Radio There is a beast, standing only a handful of feet away from Lyra. It continues to charge, and Lyra stands ready. She survived. The beast you just fought was called a griffba. And where did this thing come from? I don't know where the creatures come from. It's almost as if there are red strings of fate tethering you all to this place. How many of us are there, Mrs. Bell? There are four whom fate calls upon, the mage, who knows not the power he wields. The four of you have a destiny guided by fate itself, four of us to save the entire world. Things are about to get real interesting around here. Everything you are about to hear is absolutely fictional. The town of Mountain Hill is just that, a town. The people of Mountain Hill are just people, and never has there been a true case of a monster stealing a human skin. The forests do not contain fair creatures from another world, the streets are not terrorized by monsters who only come out at night, and the water is perfectly safe to swim in. You are safe here. We promise. This is Mountain Hill Radio. <laughs> Hello and happy day dear listeners. The weather today is a little cooler, only 70 degrees, and it looks like we've got some heavy cloud coverage coming in. Seems there may be a storm here soon, so make sure you're prepared in the event there may be a power outage, and make sure you have everything inside that needs to be to keep it from getting damaged in the rain. Today's episode is brought to you by Stevens Delivery, the number one delivery service in and out of Mountain Hill. Have something you need delivered? Call Stevens delivery, and the Stephen siblings will get your needed item as quickly as they can for extremely affordable prices. Colin Hayes stares at the map unfolded across his passenger seat with a frown on his face. He's been on the road the past seven hours, save a few minutes here and there where he would stop along the way to use the restroom or to take photos as the mood struck him. He knows he's probably tired as hell, and nearing that time of day he typically stops to find somewhere safe to sleep, whether that be in an inexpensive hotel or at one of the many rest stops along the highway, but he cannot blame his confusion on either one of those things. He knows, without a doubt, the last time he drove through this area, there was no exit sign for a place called Mountain Hill. He also knows, without a doubt, the place was not previously marked on his map. But now, as he stares down at this map that he has used for several months at least, this map that has been his trusty guide while exploring this area of the United States, there is a marker for a town called Mountain Hill. Just as there is very clearly an exit ramp leading to a heavily wooded area, he has passed dozens of times over the past several months. Colin is sitting on the side of the freeway, his hazards flashing, the music he had been listening to turned down so low it is nothing but a quiet murmur buzzing through his speakers, and he is debating whether or not it would be worth it to take that new because it is new, despite what the marker on his map or what the sign on the side of the road declares, exit, and discover just exactly what Mountain Hill is and what lies behind the pine trees he has always wanted to explore. Ultimately, Cullen is always up for an adventure, which is exactly how he ended up packing his few belongings, his camera, his laptop, the sweaters Troy always told him made him look like a grandpa, and the handful of books he's never been able to be without, and traveling across the eastern half of the U.S gaining a following as a landscape photographer and making just enough money to live by as a freelancer. He folds the map carefully, taking care not to crease it more than it had already been creased, not wanting to rip the paper. He has this strange, sentimental feeling about the map, like he's worried once it rips, his adventure will be over. That obviously isn't true. He knows he can go into any gas station along this stretch of freeway and pick up an almost, if not totally, identical map. It's just the way his brain is wired, though. Things are so temporary, and once they're gone, that's it. Game over. Colin shakes off the weird vibes, deciding he just needs a few hours sleep. He'll find a cheap hotel for the night, but only after he explores a bit. He's practically vibrating with excitement. It's been months since he's felt this way, a strange energy buzzing in his veins at the prospect of a new place to photograph. As Colin takes the exit and begins following the long, winding road, his excitement grows until he can't help himself, he pulls over and hops out, taking some photos of the road, which curve sharply to the right up ahead. He double-checks that there are no cars coming his way. He doubts anyone else is passing through here anytime soon, but it obviously doesn't hurt to be sure. He takes photos of the road, with the trees which seem to form a natural archway over it. He climbs back into his car after taking enough photos to be satisfied that he'll find something in them that he likes, and continues on toward Mountain Hill. There is a sign as he rounds the corner that makes Colin raise an eyebrow. It says, Welcome to Mountain Hill, a safe place in an unsafe world. He finds the slogan strangely ominous, and pulls over to snap a few photos of the sign as well. There is another sharp curve, this time to the left, and finally, Colin has reached Mountain Hill. The town is small, and as he pulls onto what must be the main street through town, he can't help his wonder at everything he sees. There are shops lighting each side of the street, and houses in small neighborhoods beyond. There are people walking about and a few sneak glances at him as he drives past, while others blatantly stare. He isn't surprised or even bothered by their confused looks. Colin wouldn't be surprised at all if he was actually the first outsider they'd seen in a while. This place is that secluded. Colin passes a small shop called Lost Fiction and makes a mental note to stop by there later. It looks like a cute little bookstore, and he needs to get a few more novels to carry around with him. There are only so many times he can reread the old Greek mythology books he's been carrying around for years. He has other things to read, but he never does. He's not sure why exactly Greek mythology calls to him like a siren song, but it always has. He hopes Lost Fiction has something there that he'll enjoy. Finally, Colin spots a grocery store called Farm Fresh Grocers, and he decides to stop there and pick up some much-needed supplies. It's been an unfortunately long time since he's had anything but junk food. He often lies to himself and says it's not because he enjoys eating junk food, just that he hasn't found a good grocery store in a while, but we all know it's because he enjoys eating junk food. He pulls into the angled parking in front of the store and climbs out, locking the doors before he heads inside. Farm Fresh Grocers reminds Colin of the organic stores Troy tried taking him to, back when he'd taken Colin in ten years ago. Troy had insisted they were both going to eat healthier, and Colin had known Troy was just trying his best. Troy had only been 23 when 12-year-old Colin was dumped into his lap. He did his best, and much more than anyone else would have been able to at that age. Up until about a year ago, when it all went to hell. Colin decides not to worry about that right now. The last fight he had with Troy haunts him every day of his life, the words neither of them can ever take back replaying in his head every single night. Colin misses his big brother, but not enough to be the first one to reach out the olive branch, so to speak. He's being petty, and he knows that, but he can't help himself. Colin has been minorly famous in his field for the last year, since he very first started traveling. Popular enough that if Troy cared to look, he would notice Colin, and if he cared enough to reach out, he would have. The bell above the door jingles as Colin pushes it open, his gaze roaming up and down the aisles as he walks in. There is one cashier, chewing gum and reading a trashy tabloid, who ignores Colin as he walks in. That's totally fine. Colin prefers solitude when grocery shopping. He always feels bad whenever employees feel obligated to come up and talk to him or ask him if he needs anything. They don't want to be there, and he knows more often than not, employees are terrified of talking to customers, so he doesn't force the issue. He's always polite, but never asks for help unless he absolutely needs it. Maybe that's also reflective of his own anxiety about talking to people, but it's fine. He's not worried about it. Colin collects a basket from the front and begins wandering through the store. He grabs some essentials, but also things he doesn't need to worry about refrigerating. Bread, peanut butter, honey, crackers, some granola bars, a couple different dried fruits, some jerky, etc. The Prices here aren't too bad, considering how far Mountain Hill is from any other towns, or even a distribution center. As he's finishing up, dropping a bag of chips into the basket just as a little treat for later, a tall form steps in front of him, nearly causing him to drop his stuff. Oh, the form says, I'm so sorry, I didn't see you there. Colin looks up, and up, and meets the eyes of someone who towers over him by at least a foot. He's used to this. Being 5'3 means he's often overlooked, especially by people who are much taller than he is. And unfortunately, most of the time, he doesn't get an apology. But this person seems genuinely sorry, so he accepts the apology, moving to step out of her path. But then she steps into his path, and he frowns at her. I'm sorry, she says, smiling. I just haven't seen a stranger in a while now. I'm Lyra, what's your name? Colin wonders if everyone in this town, except the bored-looking teenager at the counter, is this friendly. He decides it doesn't matter, that he won't be here past tomorrow or the next day anyways, and it doesn't hurt to be polite. Even if his mother hadn't ingrained politeness into his very being, Troy would have kicked his ass if he was ever rude to a stranger. So Colin holds out his hand and says, I'm Colin, nice to meet you. Lyra accepts his hand and shakes it, and Colin takes a brief moment to look her over. She is wearing a baby blue button-up short-sleeved shirt that appears to have small watermelons printed on it, tucked into high-waisted skinny jeans and a pair of old high-top tennis shoes. Her long brown hair is pulled up into a high ponytail, and the piercings on her left ear glint in the light of the grocery store. She is pale white and has some freckles across the bridge of her nose. The wide smile on her face seems genuine, even reaching her brown eyes. "'What brings you to our small town?' Lyra asks. "'Just passing through,' Colin says. "'I, uh, take photos.' Lyra nods, appearing impressed. That's super cool. Are you here to take some photos? Colin nods. I've driven past this area dozens of times and just barely realized there was a freeway exit, so I thought I'd check it out. What do you take photos of? Colin pulls out his phone, attempting to load his profile on any of the social media he's posted to, but nothing comes up. Lyra explains, we have absolutely no data here. Colin wonders how that could be, when he knows for certain he had data on the road into town. He quickly checked his email and found an offer for another photo he took a few days ago and accepted it. But he decides not to ask. Instead, he pulls up his phone gallery and shows Lyra a few shots he's taken over the past month. "'Those are all so gorgeous,' she says when he's done. "'I'm not very talented artistically. I was a sports kid.' "'My brother was, too,' Colin says. "'But he bought me my first camera.' "'That's so sweet!' Lyra smiles, and Colin wonders if she is always this cheerful.' Perhaps a pessimist in him is rearing its ugly head, but he can't help but wonder how anyone could be this happy all the time. Yeah, it was pretty cool, Colin says. He isn't sure where else this conversation could possibly go from there, so he says, Anyway, it was uh, nice to meet you, Lyra. It was nice to meet you, too. She moves out of his way, and Colin continues on, feeling her gaze on him all the way to the cash register and out the door. Colin has just loaded his groceries into his car when the door swings open behind him, and Lyra calls, Hey, uh, Colin? He looks at her, feeling a bit of anxiety and a tiny bit of annoyance, but not letting her see that. His hang-ups aren't her problem, nor are they her fault. I just wanted to, uh… She trails off, then shakes her head, looking a little bit confused. She tries again. If you're going to go out into the forest, make sure not to go past any lines of yellow wildflowers. And, uh, if you plan on staying in town, be inside before dark. The inn up the road is owned by Mr. and Mrs. Ashby, and they'll get you a super affordable room. Just tell them Lyra sent you. Colin frowns. Why do I need to be in before dark? Lyra shrugs. Town curfew. Just the way it is. It's supposed to get dark in about four hours, so I'm sure you have enough time to get some good shots, but I know you don't know me, but please trust me. It's better to be inside before the sun goes down. She's right. Colin doesn't know her, certainly not enough to trust her, and yet he does. He can't explain why, but he trusts her completely. All right, he says. I'll get back into town before the sun goes down. Thank you, she says before slipping back into the store. Colin slides into the front seat of his car, setting the grocery bags on the passenger seat. He starts the car and takes a moment, setting his shaking hands on the steering wheel. It started about six years ago, the sudden, intense anxiety when he would interact with total strangers. It seemed to come out of nowhere, but after a few sessions with the therapist Troy was adamant he'd see for a while, they discovered Colin has social anxiety disorder, which causes immense fear and anxiety about social situations. Colin had missed several days in a row at school, which then turned to weeks, then into a whole month. His teachers called Troy, and Troy took Colin immediately to the doctor. It took a little while to get a concrete diagnosis, during which time Colin transferred temporarily to online school, where he flourished. Once they had the diagnosis, Colin was slowly put more and more into social situations, and as time went by, he learned some coping mechanisms that he still uses to this day. His biggest point of anxiety is public speaking. He has made himself physically ill before, to the point of vomiting because he was terrified to speak in front of a classroom with only about 20 students in it. Back then, he was absolutely mortified, but looking back on it now, Colin recognizes that not a single thing that happened that day was his fault or in his control. Speaking to strangers also gives him immense anxiety, but he has had more time to learn how to cope with that. Ever since he started his journey, he has learned ways to interact with people that don't trigger his anxiety, and he has done the best he can do. But still, every social interaction leaves him feeling drained, and speaking with Lyra is no exception. It isn't as bad as it usually is. Lyra actually made him feel welcome, and he wonders if she sensed his anxiety about their conversation. Asking about his photography had been a good move on her part. Talking about his photos always helps ease the anxiety, even just a fraction. Colin first started taking photos as a way to cope with the daily anxieties he faced. He learned quickly that behind the camera, the rest of the world seemed to fade from view until nothing was more important than the moment he was in. It put things in a perspective for him and allowed him to remove himself from situations that quickly became too much. He started posting them a couple years ago, and through some strange twist he never saw coming, he actually became pretty popular. He opened a shop online, using a third-hand printing service that made it easier for him to just post the photos and not worry about the rest. It didn't take long for his work to be noticed by bigger companies looking for landscape photographs for all sorts of different things. He would sell the photos, and again, just not worry about the rest. Troy had been proud of him, and now, now he survived on the money he made, and he was able to travel as much as he wanted. But Troy no longer cared or paid attention to what he was doing. Colin takes a deep breath in and releases it slowly, imagining all his negative thoughts slipping away with each deep breath out. Finally, after a few minutes of this, he is ready to head out and explore Mountain Hill. He drives down Main Street, which he notes is called Ashton Avenue. He takes a left on one of the many streets branching off of the main one, and follows it until he reaches the end. He passes several houses on the way, all of them older than the houses he'd seen growing up. He lived in a very cookie-cutter neighborhood, at the end of a cul-de-sac surrounded by houses that had been built five years before he and his family moved in. If he had to guess, he would say these houses were all nearly 200 years old, if not older, And he wishes he knew anything at all about architecture so he could be far more interested in the history here. But he isn't, and so he continues on, finding the end of the paved road as it smoothly transitions to dirt. Colin decides to get out and walk from here, not wanting to get his car stuck. Though there are no signs of mud anywhere, it would be just his luck. As he walks, he takes in the scenery, enjoying the feeling of fresh air on his skin. This is one of his favorite parts of this career path he has paved for himself, Being outdoors all day, every day, experiencing nature, and feeling a sense of utmost peace with himself. Colin may have severe anxiety in day-to-day life when it comes to interacting with people, but out here, he truly feels as if he can breathe. Colin finds the end of the dirt and gravel road, which leads to a trail which forks off in three different directions. There is a sign on each trailhead. One which says Overland View, the second Midland View, the third Mountain Hill Lake. Colin decides to follow the middle path, thinking this is probably the least scenic of the three paths and wanting to save the best for last. He's only half right. Colin finds beautiful canopies of trees overhanging this path, and he gets several shots of those before stumbling upon a tiny stream which seems to feed towards the lake. He takes some photos there and continues on. He is just about to turn back, wanting to see as much as possible before the sun goes down when he notices a bed of yellow wildflowers. At first, Colin isn't entirely sure there is anything strange about it. But as he lines up a shot of what almost looks like a perfect border where the trail ends and the tree line begins, he recalls Lyra's strange warning. If you're going to go out into the forest, make sure not to go past any lines of yellow wildflowers. Colin wonders about this warning, but ultimately decides it doesn't matter. He isn't about to go traipsing through the woods, so despite his curiosity, it's quite easy to just turn around and move on. He makes it back to the trailhead and decides to leave the lake for another day. He plans to stay overnight tonight, so maybe tomorrow he'll make his way back out here before either getting back on the road or staying another night. He hasn't decided yet whether he wants to stay or not, because he really wants to explore this new area and he wants to walk around town a bit more. Things are strange here, and he thinks it would be cool to wander around a town that doesn't seem to exist to the rest of the world. Colin checks the time on his phone and finds he has managed to kill an hour and a half of time without realizing it. There's about two and a half hours until the sun is supposed to set, and though Lear's warning was strange, he still plans to heed it. Besides, he's not really interested in wandering around the woods in the dark. As Colin climbs, he finds himself stopping more and more often to take photos. There are many twists and turns up the trail, many hidden behind branches of trees that he would not have noticed if the wind did not stir at just the right moment. It's pure dumb luck that he manages to find most of the spots he does, and he cannot wait to get these photos loaded onto his laptop later and flip through them all. It isn't until Colin breaks through the line of trees, finding a viewing point that is surrounded by a rudimentary fence, literally made of a few metal rods with rope looped through them, that he realizes the sun is beginning to set. He pulls out his phone, checking the time, and his heart starts pounding in his chest. He somehow managed to lose nearly the full two and a half hours he'd had when he first started up this trail. How in the world had he managed to do that? Panic sets in, and Colin briefly wonders if he is worrying for nothing. But There was something in Lyra's eyes, something about her that told Colin he could trust her. Colin was afraid of interacting with people, and while Lyra had been no exception to that, she had been kind. And Colin had met far too many cruel people in this world that blatant kindness was rarity. Without really thinking about it, Colin begins speed walking, going as fast down the path as he can manage without falling. He keeps telling himself everything is going to be fine, that there's no reason to panic. Lyra just said there was a town curfew after dark, and really, he was a total stranger to this town. It was highly unlikely he would even know about the curfew, let alone want to obey it. He's sure that any other visitors to town, as few and far between as they probably are, would have no idea about the curfew. He's going to be fine, and it's really not going to be that big of a deal. As the sun makes its final descent behind the mountains, Colin breaks through the line of trees, finding where the three branches of the trail meet. He stops to catch his breath, pressing his hand to his side in an attempt to make the stitch go away. He can see his car from here, though it grows darker with each and every second, and Colin starts for it, taking in big gulps of air. It is because of his gasping that he doesn't immediately hear the sound behind him. Branches breaking underfoot, of heavy breathing that mirrors his own of leaves rustling as something moves through the woods. Colin has just reached his car when the screech pierces the air around him. He flinches, turning toward the source of the sound and sees… He doesn't know what it is. It's tall, with arms so long they drag on the ground behind it. Its head hangs sideways, its mouth open as it inhales sharply, letting out another screech that makes Colin's blood run cold. It lifts one of its massive arms and takes a swing and Colin's world explodes. Raven, host and story writer of Mountain Hill Radio. I just wanted to take a moment and thank all of you for listening and spreading the word about the show. It truly means the world to me to have your support, and I really hope you continue to enjoy the story. I'm really excited to share this with all of you, and I hope you love it just as much as I do. The next episode will be up November 1st, so keep an eye out for that, and don't forget to follow me on social media. I'm at Mountain Hill Radio Podcast on Instagram and at Mountain Hill Radio Pod on TikTok and you can search Mountain Hill Radio on Facebook. Don't forget to share the show with your friends, and if you post about the show, use the hashtag Mountain Hill Radio so I can see it. All music featured in the show is produced by Zach Bradshaw. You can find him by searching for Nautilus of the Tide on Instagram and all streaming platforms. Check out his music. It's all super good, and he absolutely deserves all the support. That wraps up everything I had to say. I just wanted to say thanks one more time, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. been following Colin all afternoon, afraid he might somehow find himself caught outside after dark. She had a feeling, after Mrs. Bell's prophetic words a few weeks ago, that she would soon be meeting one of the three she'd been told about. In the moment she'd seen Colin in the grocery store, she'd just known. The imps were particularly tricky with Colin, getting him distracted and leading him down paths he never would have noticed if not for their drive Lyra has to hand it to them. They really know what they're doing. Now, though, as the hollow wraith makes its way towards Colin, she wants to curse the damn things out. The imps, guided by whims of fate or whatever else, have led Colin into a situation he cannot handle on his own. Good thing I'm a total creep and followed him then, isn't it? She mutters under her breath. She hopes the imps can hear her grumbling, hopes they've heard her all day. Lyra watches as the hollow wraith lifts its arm, preparing to whip it out and wrap it around Colin, to draw him in and tighten around him like a boa constrictor. This is not the first time Lyra has faced a Hollow Wraith. They are about as common as Havoc sprites are, but ten times as creepy with their whole lack of eyes, crooked necks, and long-ass arms that remind Lyra, unfortunately, of noodles. Before the Hollow Wraith can strike, Lyra has jumped out of the bushes she's been hiding in, a mere five feet away from the creature. Its heavy breathing helped mask her not-so-sneaky pursuit, and is swinging her bat. She makes contact with the arm it has whipped out, hitting it out of the air just in time to see it miss Colin by just a few inches. Colin leaps back out of the way, falling to his butt in the dirt and gravel next to his car. He scrambles, trying to put distance between him and the creature, and Lyra really wishes the damn magic surrounding the town would have let her tell him what was going on. But of course, he had to see it for himself, and now she's absolutely certain the Imps are total assholes. She knows they somehow lured the creature out of the woods and towards Colin, and she desperately wishes this was not the first thing Colin saw. Okay, if she's being honest with herself, the hollow wraith isn't that bad. It's terrifying, don't get it wrong, but at least it isn't a goddamn graveling. Lyra gets closer to the creature and swings her bat at its sternum, but it's onto her now. Its terrifying face turns on her, its chest lifting as it heaves in another breath, preparing to scream. But the scream never comes. There is a blast from somewhere beyond the creature. She knows instinctively it must have come from Colin. Mrs. Bell had been right, at least, that he would have magic. Lyra just barely manages to duck and roll out of the blast zone, turning in time to see a steady red-hot stream of fire coming from Colin, aimed directly at the hollow wraith. Colin's eyes are glowing, bright orange, and Lyra raises her brows. He looks absolutely badass, and she finds herself feeling mildly jealous of the magic in his veins. But then she thinks about the creatures she has fought, how satisfying it is to defeat them with brute strength, and decides she much prefers the abilities she has. The hollow wreath crumples, shrinking in on itself as it also dissolves into ash, floating away on the wind which will take it to the other world, or wherever it came from. The moment the creature is gone, Colin's magic sputters out, leaving only scorched earth in its wake. Colin is breathing heavily, his eyes wide and back to their dark brown hue, as he turns to Lyra and says, What the fuck was that? Colin drives them both to Lost Fiction on Lyra's orders. She promised him an explanation the moment they arrived at the bookstore, but has not spoken since getting into the car. Colin's entire body is still trembling, but he manages to not crash on the way to the store, though he's not entirely sure how exactly he does that. Things went so horribly wrong. First, he had been out past sunset, which he should have known better than to do. Second, that thing, which Lyra did explain was called a hollow wraith, appeared out of nowhere. And third, Colin has magic. His entire world has been turned upside down in a matter of moments, and he has no idea how he is even remotely functioning right now, but he's working through it. Kind of. They pull up in front of Lost Fiction, and Lyra finally, mercifully, breaks the silence. So, I'm going to forewarn you. There are people in there waiting to meet you. Colin nods, swallowing past the sudden lump in his throat. He figured Lyra was taking him to meet some people, and though his stomach drops at the anticipation of interaction with strangers, he wants answers. No, he needs answers. I know you're not a fan of talking to people, Lyra says, and I warn my friends ahead of time that you probably won't want to speak to them. And that's totally okay. They're all more than happy to do all the talking and explain everything to you. Colin nods again, feeling incredibly grateful to this total stranger for recognizing his struggle. I'm gonna ask, even though I'm sure I know the answer, but... Are you okay, Colin? I'm... He trails off and shakes his head. I don't know what I am, but I do know I'm alive and that has to come for something, right? Lyra smiles. I understand. When I saw my first creature, she shudders. The damn thing tore my car up. And the entire time I was fighting it, all I could think about was the damage to my car. Like, that was the most important thing that was happening in those moments. And when I came out on the other end alive and t- mostly unharmed, I just, I don't even know. This stuff changes you. Colin takes a deep breath, feeling a calm determination filling him. He doesn't know if Lyra's words have helped bolster his confidence, or if that creature really did a number on his mental state, but he feels ready to face just about anything right now. Let's go, Lyra says, opening her car door and sliding out. Colin follows suit, and Lyra leads him to the front door. Lyra watches Colin take in Renford's store, watches his eyes widen at the large collection of books residing within. She says, Anything you want, you let me know, and I'll trade something in for you. He looks at her quizzically, and she smiles. You can buy books here, but the policy is a book for a book. Most people treat this place as a sort of library, but there are a few folks in town who come by every so often and stockpile on books. Colin seems impressed, but Lyra is honestly having a hard time reading him right now. Ever since they climbed into his car, he's been dreadfully silent, and now she can see his hand shaking at his sides. He has them balled into fists, and she snaps her gaze away, not wanting him to realize she noticed his anxiety manifesting. Though Lyra has never struggled with anxiety, not in the way she knows Colin does, she learned enough about it in the psychology class she took in college to recognize the symptoms. She still feels bad about suddenly approaching him at the grocery store, but she also knows it was a necessary thing. Approaching him led him to trust her, and even if it was only a little bit, it was enough to get him to come with her even after their fight with the Hollow Wraith. Mrs. Bell, Renford, and Tilly are all sitting at the table in the break room when Lyra approaches. Immediately, Mrs. Bell is up, first aid kit in hand, checking Lyra over for injuries. "'I'm fine,' she says. Colin skinned his palms, though. She noticed it when they were in the car. His hands weren't bleeding, but they were torn up pretty bad, and she suspects there may be some gravel that needs to be cleaned out. Mrs. Bell gives her a look that says, "'I'll decide whether you're fine, young lady.' and Lyra resigns herself to being checked over the moment she finishes up with Colin. Mrs. Bell asks Colin's consent before she starts working on cleaning out his hands and rubbing antibacterial ointment into the wounds, finally wrapping his hands in bandages that are totally unnecessary. As if Colin senses that fighting with Mrs. Bell would be pointless, he does not point out the lack of blood, and thanks her graciously when she finishes up. What was it tonight, Lyra? Mrs. Bell asks, moving to her side to double-check her for injuries. She gives Lyra a nice pack for her knee, which got a little banged up when she jumped out of the way of Colin's magic, and Lyra accepts. Hollow Wraith, she says, and Mrs. Bell sighs. There are more and more of those bastards every year, I swear, she mutters, shaking her head. I hate the damn things. Lyra can't disagree. Anyway, Colin, dear. Mrs. Bell turns her full attention back on Colin, who does not meet her gaze. I understand you may have a lot of questions, and I also understand you may not want to voice them, so I will explain what I can, and Lyra can fill you in on the rest, okay? Colin nods once, finally looking up to meet her eyes. Good. Mrs. Bell launches into a very similar speech about the truth of Mountain Hill. Lyra momentarily wonders if she memorized it, then decides she wouldn't put it past her. She leans against the wall beside the door, doing her best not to look at Tilly, who appears incredibly bored with the entire situation. Lyra learned that Tilly does occasionally get involved in handling the creatures, though typically only if what the creature has done affects the rest of the community. One night, a week or so ago, another shadow claw found its way into town, and when Lyra was fighting it, the front window of the bar, literally just called bar since it is the only one in the entire town, got smashed in when the creature hit Lyra in the stomach with its tail and launched her through it. After she finally defeated the damn thing, she gave Renford and Mrs. Bell a call, and they sent over Tilly to do damage control with the owners. Tilly had also made a point, once Mrs. Bell revealed there would be four newcomers, to make sure she would be involved in meeting everyone. It makes sense, but Lyra also wonders if there is something more to this story. All she knows so far is that her father was killed fighting a creature, and while Lyra would assume any other person would seek vengeance by hunting the creatures down, Tilly has done the exact opposite. There is also the undeniable fact that, quite frankly, Lyra is interested in Tilly, but that may be due to the fact that the woman is hard to crack. She has spent a lot of time, in these last few weeks, bringing Tilly baked goods she has made. Cookies, pies, cupcakes, muffins, anything she could possibly dream of, she has made. And while she has learned without a doubt that Tilly has a sweet tooth, she has learned absolutely nothing else about the sheriff. Tilly doesn't want to open up to her, and Lyra can be okay with that. She'll find out the story eventually, she's sure, but she's not going to pressure anyone into talking about it. But she is definitely going to become Tilly's friend, or even just her acquaintance. She would settle for even that relinquence. As Mrs. Bell wraps up her explanation, leaving Colin looking more confused and broken up than he'd been before they came to the bookstore, Lyra can't help but feel sorry for him. She'd at least been moving here already, her entire life uprooted of her own volition, but Colin had only been passing through, a drifter in his own right, but not the drifter who would eventually join them, moving from place to place as he sought peace. Lyra wishes for the millionth time tonight she could have prepared him earlier but the rules are simple. Each of them must face a creature on their own, must see the reality of this strange town without interference by one of them. Lyra thinks back to watching the imps interfere in Colin's fate, and has to stop her teeth from grinding in annoyance. The imps could be helpful in their own right. They once guided her to a journal she needed when she was investigating a strange creature Mrs. Bell had never seen before, that only the earliest residents of Mountain Hill had seen. It had been named simply as a crawler, a horrifying creature which scuttled across the forest floor like a crab, with massive teeth and pincers that were so powerful they could chop limbs from full-grown humans. The worst part, for Lyra, was the scuttling. But the imps also had this knack for making things almost worse, like this situation with Colin. Lyra is certain they could have done better than a goddamn hollow wraith for his first monster. Do you have any questions? Mrs. Bell asks, and Colin glances at Lyra. I can explain anything else you need to know in private, Lyra says, and Colin feels immediately grateful. Everything that just came from Mrs. Bell is making him feel overwhelmed, though not with fear or anxiety necessarily. It was just a lot of information. Colin, why don't you stay here with Lyra tonight? She has some food upstairs I made earlier. I hope you like spaghetti. It's a comfort food, Mrs. Bell says, smiling warmly. Colin is struck suddenly by how much she reminds him of his mother. She is so friendly, so welcoming, so warm and bright, it makes his chest ache. He has to refrain from rubbing his palm against the spot over his heart, has to swallow past the sudden messy knot of emotions he feels at thinking of his parents. Mrs. Bell and I are going to head back home. The older gentleman, who Colin recalls is named Renford, steps forward, holding up a black jacket that Mrs. Bell immediately slides her arms into. Lyra, if you need anything. You're just a phone call away, she finishes, smiling at him. She doesn't seem annoyed at all by all the fussing. In fact, if Colin were to guess, Lyra appreciates their affection as much as he has appreciated it since stepping into the small bookstore. No one has ever taken the time to clean any injuries he's received, at least not since he was a young kid. It had hurt, having Mrs. Bell pull pieces of gravel out of his palms, but they feel much better now, and he appreciates it more than he can express. I suppose you have this under control? The other woman, Sheriff Tilly Thornton, speaks up, rising from her seat and pulling on her own jacket. Lyra beams at her, and Tilly's mouth twitches. Colin glances between them, wondering briefly if there's something there, but quickly determines if there is. Neither of them know it. Always, Lyra responds, and Tilly nods. Colin, Tilly says, turning to him. I'm sorry, that this is a lot. The creatures here are… they're something else. I appreciate your help in fighting the Hollow Wraith, and I know Lyra appreciates it too. Colin smiles, feeling like Tilly's being genuine. Tilly leaves ahead of Renford and Mrs. Bell, checking the streets outside to make sure they are clear. As Renford pulls the door open, his hand on the small of Mrs. Bell's back, Colin feels his heart pick up speed as he rises on shaky legs. Wait, he calls, half stumbling into the front room. Mrs. Bell looks back at him in alarm, but he says, I just wanted to say thank you. Mrs. Bell smiles, and Colin's breath catches in his throat at the sight. You never have to thank me, Colin. i will do anything for the four of you. Colin's brow furrows, but before he can ask her to elaborate, she and Renford are gone. It's about an hour later now, after Lyra helped Colin bring up his laptop and camera, the latter of which somehow managed to escape the encounter with the hollow wraith totally unscathed, as well as his bag of clothes, and Colin is standing in Lyra's living room, the apartment she rents above Lost Fiction. The place seems well lived in, from the throw blanket tossed haphazardly across the couch, to the baking utensils scattered across the counter and in the sink to the smell of fresh baked goods that makes Colin's stomach grumble. He hasn't lived anywhere concrete for a little over a year now, and he hadn't realized how much he craved the stability of knowing exactly where you are going to sleep every night or the knowledge that you had a place to return to, somewhere to store the things you cherished. It's staggering, the sudden overwhelming desire to belong somewhere. But no, not just somewhere. Colin can't explain exactly where this feeling has come from, but standing here, in the middle of the room, has every instinct telling him not to run, but to stay. But he knows he can't. How could he possibly? His entire life has just been flipped on its head, his entire worldview changed forever. Mrs. Bell said as far as they know, there are no other phenomena anywhere else in the world, nothing like what the residents of Mountain Hill experience. Perhaps it makes him a coward to run away from something he was very clearly meant to do. What had mrs bell said about it earlier you are the mage fate has foretold the power within you has always been there colin it just needed a little push to come alive he doesn't want this power he doesn't want this fate he had no hand in choosing he just wants to 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 what return to the life of solitude a life with no purpose beyond pleasing strangers he would never meet strangers who if he did meet he wouldn't even be able to speak to Hey, is everything all right? Lyra's voice startles him out of his panic spiral, and Colin turns to her. She's changed into a t-shirt, a pair of sweatpants, and some ugly blue slippers that look about a billion years old. Her long brown hair is piled in a bun on top of her head, and she looks relaxed, even as Colin is having a mild panic attack. I just… He lets out a shaky breath, takes another, holds it for a moment. How did you deal when you learned about all of this? Lyra shrugs, leaning against the wall next to the couch and crossing her arms. I was angry at first, confused why they couldn't just tell me everything outright, but the longer you're here, the more you learn. It all starts to make sense in the insanity of it all. Colin pinches the bridge of his nose, closing his eyes tight as he tries to get a grip on his thoughts. Why did you stay once you learned the truth? Because this is where I belong. You say that like it's that simple. It is, she says. She steps closer, and Colin opens his eyes, peering up at her. My life before, well, let's just say it was a total shitshow. My parents were controlling assholes, my ex-girlfriend was manipulative, and it took me literally walking in on her cheating on me to realize just how… I don't know. I grew up living a privileged life, but I was still surrounded by people who cared less about me than money. I wanted out, and when I found this apartment listed, I just… I ran. I ran and i found the place I'm supposed to be, fighting to protect people who cannot protect themselves. You are so strong, Lyra, Colin says, moving to the couch and dropping down onto it with a heavy sigh. So much stronger than I could ever be. Lyra sits down beside him and holds out her hand. He doesn't know why or how he feels so comfortable around her already, but he does. He accepts her hand and she squeezes his gently. My friend, you faced on a fucking hollow wraith burned it to literal ashes and you were still standing. I think I got pretty lucky with the first creature I faced down, all brute strength and snarly attitude. I think if it had been one of those creepy fuckers, I might have lost my mind. What was it you faced? Lyra tells him the story of the Griffba, then the Shadow Claw, and eventually she gets the journals out, each of them chronicling the lives of previous residents and protectors of Mountain Hill. They talk until the late hours of morning, when Lyra falls asleep curled up in a ball on the couch, and Colin follows suit, curled up on the other end. In the morning, Lyra isn't necessarily surprised when Colin packs his things into his car. She had hoped their conversation the night before would have convinced him to stay, but she understands his fear. She wants him to stay, of course, but she knows nothing can force him to follow a path he never wanted for himself. She says goodbye to him and spends her day in lost fiction, flipping through magazines that Renford had delivered the day before. When the delivery man, Rufus, dropped them off, he spent an hour or so talking to Mrs. Bell, who explained once the big burly man left that the Stevens had once lived in Mountain Hill, until about 15 years ago, when all three of their children fell ill with a mysterious ailment. When their sickness required the family to move out of town, closer to a hospital where the children could be looked after full-time, the children suddenly recovered. To this day, no one knows what was making the Stevens' kids so sick but with their connection to Mountain Hill, Rufus's family set up a much-needed delivery service, which meant the residents no longer had to leave town and drive several hours away to buy things they had no access to in Mountain Hill. As Lyra finishes up the third magazine of the day, the bell above the door rings, and she looks up, mouth open to greet a new customer into the store when she sees Colin. He looks timidly around the store, his hand shoved into the pockets of his grandpa cardigan. When his gaze meets Lyra's, she can't help but smile. What brings you in?" she asks, rising from her chair. He walks towards her, his own mouth stretching into a grin that matches hers as he says, "'You never explained what's up with the yellow wildflowers.' Lyra laughs and shakes her head, the sense of right that she feels whenever fate has finally settled into place warms her, and she can't help herself. She says, "'Welcome to Mountain Hill.' This has been Mountain Hill Radio. I am just a woman, alone in a radio tower, speaking into the void and hoping that somebody hears me. I hope, whoever you are listening to this, that you are somewhere warm and safe, and that you remember you are never alone. I am always here with you, your constant companion into the late dark hours of night. Remember, everything you've heard is absolutely fictional. There are no monsters roaming the streets, and under absolutely no circumstances is it okay to leave your house after curfew. Thank you for listening.